Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Britt Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. Hey everyone, Britt here. Welcome to the season finale of Teach Me Something New. I know, I know, the last episode of the season is always bittersweet, but the good news is we'll be back next spring with tons of exciting guests and even more mind-blowing learnings. Until then, I thought we could remember and reflect on some of the top lessons from 2021 together. We've had nearly 50 guests join us this year to teach us all about everything from aging to hypnosis, nail and skincare, happiness, stress management, parenting, productivity, Enneagrams, intuition, politics, entrepreneurship, social media, and so much more. And look, we don't expect you to remember it all. So allow us to present a handy crash course and all of the lessons you won't want to miss. As you listen in, you'll notice a thorough line of reflection and motivation throughout each segment that can help inform some of your New Year's resolutions, if you're into that sort of thing. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our highlight reel from 2021 so that you can enter the new year a little bit wiser. Now, on to the show. When we look at our goals, most of them are short-term, looking two weeks, six months, or even a year or five years ahead. But when we think about aging, we should be looking at the big picture, the long game. So when I talked to the expert on aging, Andrew Steele, I knew I was in for a treat. Picking just one tip from this episode was tough because there were so many great nuggets to choose from. But what really stuck with me was a story he told me about 90-year-olds weightlifting to slow the aging process. You'll just have to hear this story for yourself. So if you're 80, I think it's just a question of trying to do all of that health advice. And actually, the really crucial thing to say is it's never too late to start. I think a really good example of something that I'd recommend everybody do is a bit more strength training. And this is something that I think I was quite naive to before doing the research for the book. Your strength declines, I think it's by about 10% per decade after the age of 30. So it's this sort of slow decline of muscle strength and muscle mass. And actually, that decline is significantly reversible in that it's basically, you know, if you do some strength training, if you do some exercise to train those muscles you can reverse that decline to a large extent. And a really, really sort of compelling study I found had, I think it was a two-month program of strength training for people in their 90s. And these people got dramatically fitter. You know, they could lift more, they could walk further and faster, even though they're that old already. So clearly it's never too late to start with this kind of stuff. You know, whatever your age, aging is cumulative. And so, you know, the best time to plant a tree Mm -hmm. was 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. And that is genuinely the case. That's the only cliche my editors let me sneak into the book. I think it's because it's just such a really, really good example. In terms of genetics, that is a fascinating and difficult Mm -hmm. question. And the answer is far less than you'd think for most of us. So the data that I've seen suggests that about, and this is a broad range because there's a bit of controversy, but somewhere between like five and 25%, so less than a quarter of your longevity is related to your parents' longevity. So that means that, you know, if your parents lived into their 60s or their 80s, you've got a lot to play with. It doesn't really make a lot of difference to how long you're going to live. That other 80% or so, it's somewhere between lifestyle and luck. And obviously luck you can't do anything about, but the lifestyle you can try and optimize. The only exception to this is that if you've got a family member who lived a really long time, we're talking like late 90s, 100s, 
then there does seem to be an increased genetic predisposition there. So if you've got a sibling or a parent who lived to 100, you've got a 10 times greater chance of doing so yourself. This is great So there's for me. clearly some kind of genetics of these like extreme longevity. But for most of us who've got parents who lived an average amount of time, you know, it's all to play for for the rest of us. Okay, well, I think this is good news for me because I've had multiple grandparents and great grandparents live between like 92 and 96, which might I feel like maybe maybe good. I'm getting up there. <laughs> and I have good teeth. I mean, all the odds are working yeah, in my favor right now. The boxes. <laughs> now, aging is completely natural, but also completely terrifying. And aging has a lot to do with our skin. But with so many creams and serums on the market, it can be overwhelming to know what actually works. My next guest, Lauren Everts Bostick, is the founder of the wildly popular online blog and Instagram account, The Skinny Confidential. In our talk, she shared her tips to achieve beautiful skin that only gets better with time. What's her big secret? Listen to find out. So my number one beauty tip is to fight the inflammation before anything. And with that, you can do it for free. You have ice in your freezer. And then I also just launched the Skinny Confidential Ice Roller, which I've been creating for four years because the other ones on the market were like very, very breakable and they were plastic and they weren't holding cold. So ice to me is the number one tip. Like if you get puffy like I do, and a lot of us do because we sleep wrong or we're maybe using a cream that makes us puffy or we drank too much the night before, I think you should definitely look into ice. Mm, I've seen that for, you know, the put the spoons in the freezer thing and do it on your puffy eyes. But love it. Do you suggest doing it on your whole face? Oh my God. I don't know what I would do without ice. Every day? You use this every day? It's the first thing I do when I wake up. I don't know how anyone gets up without ice. Wow. I will be like so puffy. My eyes are shut and I will use ice. It is the best beauty tip. And it's funny, if you look back in history about ice, Kate Moss talks about it. Cleopatra talked about it. Like ice tightens your skin. I bring ice all around. And what I mean by that is I do freezing cold showers every single day. It's so good for your skin. It tightens, it boosts circulation. It's going to give you that glowy skin. I like cryotherapy, ice baths. I am all about ice. Taking care of our bodies is one thing, but sometimes we forget to take care of our minds. This doesn't mean sitting in front of a TV to mindlessly watch Secession for hours on end, like I do, though there definitely is a time for that. But we have to work hard to keep our minds sharp and strong. I chatted with well-known hypnotherapist Grace Smith to learn the ins and outs of this seemingly mystical practice. She was even kind enough to give me my own session of hypnotherapy. And you guys, it worked. So I had my listeners take one of her short, stress-reducing exercises. And if you need a little mind break for yourself, then keep listening. So I thought it would be helpful for everyone to learn how to do this. Maybe you can walk us through it. Absolutely. Yes. So if there's a place where people on social media or in the comments somewhere want to share their starting stress level, that's great. Or you can just note it for yourself. So zero is the most relaxed you can possibly be. And 10 is a full-blown panic attack. So everybody just noticed their starting number. And Britt, what's yours now? Hmm. I've got like an interesting medical procedure I have to do today. So I'm kind of like a six today, actually. Starting at a six makes perfect sense. All right. So Mm -hmm. once everybody knows their starting number, go ahead and close your eyes. Take a nice deep letting go breath. 
and think a color you love to yourself. And now imagine that color you love flowing in through the top of your head, all the way through your body, out the bottoms of your feet, down into the center of the earth. That color relaxing you, that color releasing you, that color taking you all the way down. You realize now your eyelids are wonderfully deeply relaxed. Your eyelids are so wonderfully deeply relaxed, they just want to stay closed. No matter how hard you try to open them, they just want to stay closed. And when you're absolutely certain they just want to relax and stay closed, you'll think that color you love as you imagine that color flowing in through the top of your head, all the way through your body, out the bottoms of your feet, down into the center of the earth, repeating in your mind after me, doubling your relaxation with each and every single decreasing number. Three, I'm relaxing more and more. Two, I'm relaxing more and more. One, I'm relaxing more and more. Think that color you love. As it flows in through the top of your head, all the way through your body, out the bottoms of your feet, down into the center of the earth. And repeating in your mind after me, I am safe. I am calm. I choose to be here. Good, we'll do that twice more. Take a nice deep letting go breath. I am safe. I am calm. I choose to be here. One more nice deep letting go breath. I am safe. I am calm. I choose to be here. Think about something really cute or sweet, whether it's a little kitten or a little baby or something that makes you really smile. Just imagine that for a moment. And then notice your new number on the scale. Remember, zero is the most relaxed you can possibly be. And Britt, what's your new number? I think I'm at a three. Perfect. And opening your eyes when you're ready. Excellent. So in just a minute or two, cutting your stress by 50%. Stress can be a difficult thing to handle. Whether you shut off, get frustrated, or break down, stress can affect our ability to work and be present. So to help us learn everything we need to know about stress, I sought out a Harvard-trained physician and public health expert with 20 years of experience exploring the link between stress and resilience, Dr. Aditi Nurakar. 
Take a listen to hear how she advises us to take care of the small things each day in order for us to all minimize our stress. I think the key takeaway is to not think that resilience and building resilience is a mythical, magical thing. It is something that we could do every day in small, measurable ways to minimize our stress and build resilience from the inside out. And you're probably doing a lot of those things already, cooking with your family, reading novels. There's so many ways to minimize our stress. Find something that works for you. Aim to do a little bit every day because when we're building a new habit, it's better to do something every day than once in a while because it avoids decision fatigue. So aim to do something small every day. And you will see that over time and with practice, you will minimize your stress and improve your resilience. But it is in your control and in your power. And I think for me, the greatest thing is when people feel a sense of empowerment for their health and well-being. That brings me greater joy than anything else. Ah, this is amazing. And I think my summary for what I learned was stress is not something that is ever going to go away. And in fact, it could be a really healthy part of your daily life. So the key is to learn how to be aware of it, how to live in harmony with it, and to practice what Dr. Aditi is saying (laughs) to try to at least minimize some of it. Speaking of the little things, my next guest shows us how we can increase our overall happiness by taking advantage of all the free time we have in a day. Dr. Lori Santos is a renowned cognitive scientist and the host of the popular podcast, The Happiness Lab. In our conversation, she talked about a study done that looked at time confetti. Yeah, that means those little five to 10 minute chunks of free time throughout the day. After gathering up these little chunks of time throughout the day, you should be able to make the most out of every minute you have. So what should we do with our time confetti? Let's find out. My favorite kind of way to save time for busy people is to make good use of what researcher Ashley Willens calls your time confetti. You know, one incredibly strange statistic is that we, in fact, have more free time now than we ever have before, not necessarily during the pandemic, but in the last five years, you know, humans have kind of opened up much more free time for ourselves. It doesn't feel like that, though, in part because our time is broken up in these really stupid ways. You know, that five minutes, you know, when the Zoom call ends earlier, the 10 minutes when your kid falls asleep early, it's like these little chunks of time. And that's time confetti. You know, you could like throw it and it would go all over the place. But if you make good use of those little moments, they do really add up to something much bigger. And so researcher Ashley Willens recommends putting together what she calls a time confetti wish list, not a like to do list, but a like with that five minutes, I will text a friend or I'll do a couple deep breaths, you know, or I'll do a quick meditation or maybe, you know, I'll squeeze in that 10 minute ab workout I've been talking about. Right. What can you do not to like check off another email, but to really do something that's going to improve your happiness? If you can find ways to do that with your time confetti, you'll like be doing more things that make you feel happier, but you'll also feel more time affluent. So it's like a huge win-win. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When we have days that are harder than most, a simple self-care practice can be just what we need. But what counts as self-care anymore these days? (laughs) What can you actually do to give yourself a little break? And how can you leave yourself feeling refreshed, confident, and ready to take on the next day? To help me answer these questions, I talked to Melissa Bernstein, co-founder of toy brand Melissa and Doug. She opened up about having days where she felt low and not quite herself, but she's able to incorporate simple self-care practices to help her get moving on those difficult days. Time to hear from Melissa about what self-care practices she uses. What do you do on the days that are really difficult? Do you have a process you go through? So the process I did to come to terms with this second part of me is basically the centerpiece of our lifelines ecosystem. So finally, I realized I was going to have to stop racing out there, racing out towards society to get the next gold star or create the next toy, stop racing away from who I was stop for the first time in my life. Stopping was the hardest thing for me to do because I was trying to ensure my legacy by creating and just running this feudal race and make that journey inward. And that's when four years ago, I had to admit that I needed professional help, which by the way, a perfectionist in me would never admit. So I finally enlisted the help of an incredible therapist and we took this journey inward. And that involved for the first time having to go deep in here and look everything I was in the eye, including that initial nothingness, that emptiness that spawned my existential malaise in the first place. And that journey was so arduous, difficult, but also revelatory that I wanted to create it for other people to go on as well. And one of the letters of that journey, A, because it's the journey to inner space and space, the letters signify five different contiguous trails. The A is allow. And that was the hardest leg of the journey for me because basically what most of us do, even once we stop, we ground ourselves and we perceive all the things we're feeling, which in itself is a big endeavor. What we then do, at least what I did, was I began to judge it, right? The minute I felt anything that wasn't perfect, I would go into Why are you feeling that way? You have everything in the world. Like, stop being so morose. Stop doing this. I would just continually berate myself. And I've had to learn. It's taken me years to just allow myself to feel everything I am feeling. Once I was able to do that, it took me going back to my childhood traumas and unearthing them and giving myself love for the love I never received again and again and again. Once I was able to do that, believe it or not, my low days pretty much ended. It doesn't mean I won't wake up a little low some days, but I now know because I understand what it means to offer myself compassion on those days, I'm going to have to give myself some more butterfly hugs Mm -hmm. and I'm going to have to engage in my lifelines. You can see one of them. I drink tea and I do it even on this. You know, the warmth grounds me and I hold it before I'm about to speak to all of you. And I'm like, here I am in my heart and I might drink an extra couple cups of tea before this podcast. I just got back. I take an hour long walk with Doug each day in nature because again, it brings me right back here. And I know on those low days, I'm just going to have to offer myself some self-care, which by the way, 
I wasn't even on the list of self-care for 50 years. So it's a big step. It's a practice. And it's something I have to do each and every day without fail. When I think of self-care, I immediately think of a spa day. <laughs> Massages, facials, mani-pedis, you know, the works. I personally love getting my nails done, but I was always searching for ways to help me achieve the salon-quality mani-pedi at home, especially during COVID. So I went ahead and asked the queen of nail care, Sarah Gibson-Tuttle. Sarah is the founder and CEO of the nail care company that's all over your Instagram feed, Olive in June. In our conversation, she gave me endless tips on how to make my nails look and feel their best. Let's hear how a regular nail care routine can help us feel more confident and give us a much needed pause in our very busy weeks. Okay, let's take polish aside for a second because we're going to dive into that in a minute. But like just nail care, like do I need to cut my cuticles and like file my nails every week? Is that step one? And also like in the process of a mani, I got your kit that you sent me and I was like, okay, I was like reading the instructions. And it's funny because I like first one you've opened. You've gotten so many kits. This is the first one? No, I've gotten so many polishes and so many things. And this kit had like all the scrubber. I haven't gotten all the like cuticle things before, the serum. So last night I'm like putting cuticle oil on and I'm like pressing my cuticles back. And then I'm like, why am I doing this? Is it aesthetics or is this like for my health of my nails? I don't know. This is such a good question. The one thing I would say is our system changes everything, right? So we have a couple systems for everyone listening who doesn't know anything about Alvin June. We have a Manny system and a Petty system, and then we have a Manny press-on system. They're all different. So depending on what path you take, you grab one of those systems. The systems have everything you need to get that like at-home Manny, at-home Petty, at-home press-on Manny. So Britt got the Manny system and she's like, what do I do with this? The reality is everything in that system is everything you need and it's nothing you don't. So for example, when you ask the question, which I think is such a good question because it's one of everyone's biggest questions is, do I cut my cuticles? The reality is that we have no cuticle nippers at all in June. We don't sell any and we firmly believe that people at home should not be cutting their own cuticles. That is for licensed manicurists. You can go in such a wrong direction, which leads you to infection. So we always say for manicures, just for polished manicures, take your thumbnail, your fingernail, and push your cuticles back in the shower, the bath. You can buff them a little bit. You can cut anything that's hanging, but you don't have to actually cut your cuticles. And if you follow this system with the cuticle serum a couple times a day, you will see a transformation in your cuticles. All right, so changes in our nails can be fun and exciting if you like that sort of thing. But changes in our lives, whether it be a new job or a new baby, can be quite scary and intimidating. A lot of us tend to stay in our own lane, nervous to step outside of our comfort zone because change looks so daunting from the outside. My next guest is no stranger to change and rather embraces it as an opportunity to grow and be better. Jason Pfeiffer is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine and hosts his own podcast, Build for Tomorrow. Without further ado, here is one of Jason's top lessons about change. What you now know about yourself is that you are a collection of previous fears. Everything about you was once scary to a previous generation, but you don't think that you're scary. No, you think that you're great. You are the product of change, and that change has worked out very, very well for you. And so now, when somebody comes along with some new idea, something that might replace some of the things that you're comfortable with, 
for some reason, our instinct is to say, stop it. Stop it. Like I have all these things. These are the good things. I don't know what that crap is, but these are the good things. I'm going to hold on to these. But the thing is that if we can internalize that we are the products of change, that we come from the future, Britt, you come from the future. I've always you believed are, this. Yes. Thank and you. It's true. Preach. You are the result. <laughs> you are the result of hundreds of thousands of years of innovation and scary new things. And yet we all think that the moment in which everything should stop is our moment. And that is simply not true. We come from the future, and that means that we have an opportunity to shape it as well, to be a part of the next thing. That's the only option. So when people ask me about how to start thinking about change, I think that the thing you have to remember is that you literally are the product of change. Mm. So stop thinking that change is a bad thing because it has to come. And you know what? I mean, we can dig into this more, but I think that one of the reasons that people often fear change is because they think that new always replaces old. Oh. and it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. New does not always replace old. You don't have to give up everything, but you may have to think a little deeper about what really matters. Ugh, embracing change is great and can be super empowering. But what happens when that change comes in the form of loss, especially with the loss of someone super close to you? Dealing with the loss of a loved one can be one of the hardest experiences we ever go through. Last year, Amanda Klutz lost her husband, Nick Cordero, to COVID-19. She became a source of inspiration for many people on how to cope with grief and trauma. If you're ever worried about what is helpful or unhelpful to say to anyone grieving or what to do yourself, Amanda has some guidelines to follow. Let's take a listen. You know, I think... Grief is one of those topics that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people. Even as I'm talking to you, I don't want to say something that might offend you. What could I say that would be wrong or across the line? And I'm asking this for all of our listeners who might not know how to talk to somebody going through the same thing right now. Yeah. So even after I've lost, even when I've gone through and I've lost my husband, you know, other people have lost, you know, loved ones that I know. And even I still ask this question, what, what can I do for this person? How can I help them? What can I say to them? And I think it's because like that journey of grief is so different for everybody, you know, that it's hard to know what to say and what to do. But we actually just had this man on the talk, this Rabbi Steve Leader, who is one of the most renowned rabbis in, in Los Angeles. And he just wrote a book and we had him on the talk. and. He and I have very similar ideas as to how you handle grief with somebody. And he said it best on the show. He said, you have to show up as your authentic self. So if you are Brit and you are amazing at making people smile, if you have a best friend that has lost somebody, you show up and you make them smile. You don't come in the door with a long, forlorn face trying to win your drama Oscar nomination. <laughs> you come in as yourself because it, 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 he said it best. He was like, because if you don't, it makes them feel like either they, if they were having a great day and you show up sad, then they have to feel like you have to come down to being sad. And it makes you feel like the whole world has gone awry because they're counting on you to bring your smiles. Like if, if Brit's coming over, I'm asking you to come over to smile, to bring me happiness. I'm not asking you to come over so that you can win your drama desk award. You know, it's like, 
you feel like you have to greet the person like, oh, hi. Yeah. How are you doing? Are you okay? And you're really like, you're, you're doing this. And there's so much yeah. like grabbing the pearls and sadness. Do people do this? She, she, oh. I mean, is touching her chest right now, kind of. Yes. Oh, like, yes. It's just like how people physically do that to you. Yes, and and okay. it's very it's very hard as the grieving person because when if I'm having a great day where I'm not sad, then you've just brought me down to this weird sad place, and it doesn't feel real but if you were just being your authentic self like steve said just show up and be your authentic self is the best advice i can give after listening to amanda's story i could not help but be so impressed by her willingness to share and be vulnerable with the world I know it takes a lot of courage to be that open with complete strangers on the internet. We often see people be courageous and think we could never be the same way. It's so hard to try new things and conquer our fears. Being brave is a lot easier said than done. Trust me, I know. Well, fashion designer Diane von Furstenberg is a groundbreaking force in too many ways to count. I asked her what some of her most courageous moments were, and her answer did not disappoint. Let's hear from this legendary fashion icon about what courage looks like to her. You know, it's not always the biggest one. Yes, of course, when 26 years ago I was diagnosed with cancer. Wow, you don't expect that and all of that. And so you need courage. You need to own it. You need to address it. But courage, it could be much smaller things. It could be making a phone call telling a friend something that's going to be unpleasant. It doesn't always have to be something huge and dramatic. It's courage. You can have it on little doses, on big doses. You need it all the time. I mean, character, you know, character is actually my favorite word. And what I love about character is that you could lose your wealth, your health, your beauty, your family our freedom, but we never lose our character, even under torture. Our character is our strength, our spinal cord, the house inside ourselves. It is all we can truly count on. And character and courage go together. Another career path that takes a lot of courage is entrepreneurship. In fact, it takes the most courage, you guys. (laughs) After starting my own venture fund this year, I started paying more attention to other entrepreneurs and new businesses popping up. But also as an entrepreneur myself, I know just how scary it is to pitch your company to potential investors. What do new founders need to highlight and focus on when pitching their company? What do people need when pitching any sort of idea? Katrina Lake is the founder and former CEO of the fashion subscription service Stitch Fix. When it comes to the qualities consultants and investors look for in budding entrepreneurs, Katrina has the answers. Here's what she has to say. Oh yeah, I mean, I probably also have had a hundred plus no's. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, to be really honest, like I just got so used to it at this point. Like I have such thick skin. I don't mind hearing no at all. You know, I think in the beginning you said like it is something you can get used to, like that feeling of vulnerability. Like I think it's totally true. Unfortunately, like you do get used to that rejection. And as an entrepreneur, I think you do kind of find yourself finding that silver lining of like a lot of times people when they say no, 
they're not going to fully close the door. Like they're not going to say, this is a terrible idea. The investors usually give you kind of a soft no, right? They're like, yeah, like it's just not quite the right scale for me. Or like, yeah, like I'm just not sure about the space yet. Or yeah, like I just need to see a little more data. Like these are the types of things that venture investors say, but like, hey, we should keep in touch. And then the critical part, let me know if I can be helpful. And I'm like, you can be helpful. And so when they give you that window of like, let me know if I can be helpful, I would latch onto that. And I'd be like, actually, funny, you should ask. I see these three people that you're connected to on LinkedIn, or I noticed that you used to work at Twitter, or I noticed that blah, blah, blah. And then actually like building that relationship because, you know, so much of this is also relationship building. Totally. For me, when I look at these humans that I'm investing in and like, I am looking for just like sheer tenacity to bulldoze through walls that might get put up in front of you. I think there are so many challenges that come with building a business and so often you want to quit. But I am seeking that person who is just like believes in the mission, is really best in class at what they do and will like blaze through. A lot of times entrepreneurs get so caught up in perfecting their ideas that they actually forget to build and test their product. I've seen this happen so many times. An idea stays an idea unless you take action. Co-founder and former CEO of Netflix, Mark Randolph, is a big believer in doing instead of dreaming. For Mark, no idea counts until you start taking steps to make it a reality. If you have an idea and you want to turn it into a reality, then keep listening. What are your oh, thoughts? Oh, I think on that? I completely agree. It is such a fundamental flaw to be dreaming, spend all your time dreaming about how cool it will be when. Instead of thinking, how do I get to win? And the way you get to win is by starting with something which you know is not going to work. And if you don't think it's not going to work, well, let me break it to you. It's not going to work. I mean, I don't know about you, Brett, but and all the people who you've had come in and do your program, but how many of them came in and go, here's my idea, and had that be the one that ended up being successful? I mean, the answer probably is zero. It's the right. fundamental nature of discovery is that it's not this idea... And the more time and energy you envision that idea becoming this amazing thing in 15 years, you're deluding yourself. You got to start. And all you got to think about is how to get that first stage going. And then once the discovery happens, then you realize how wrong those original assumptions were. And you have a whole new set of assumptions. And it's repeat, 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 repeat. And if you're lucky and skillful, eventually that does lead to something. Uh, Amazing, but only if you're willing right. to be flexible and recognize that each step is just a step. Coming up with an idea for a business takes a lot of creativity. Is creativity something that is inherent or can you teach it to someone? Are you born with it or do you learn it? So many people don't consider themselves to be creative. Trust me, I know this from over 10 years of studying it at Britain Co. But according to this next guest, anyone can create. Austin Cleon, the author of Steal Like an Artist, helps us debunk the myth that only certain people are hardwired to be creative. And he tells us how we can all flex our creative muscles to get better and better. Let's hear from him now. Some of us are inclined to be able to jump six feet into the air and dunk a basketball or you know, whatever it is. But I think what you said, it's a muscle. That idea, I think, is enormously helpful. 
to think of it that way as it is something that you do and it is a verb. And that the more that you do it, the better you get at it. And it is true. It is a sort of use it or lose it type thing. To get people to think about creativity in terms of you put in little bits and pieces of effort every day, and those little bits and pieces of effort, they turn into something big over time. To think of it as like doing your push-ups for the day. I think that's incredibly helpful towards getting people started on the road towards having creativity back in their life. And I do like thinking of it that way as it's like a more enjoyable form of (laughs) (laughs) push-ups. Totally. I would much rather do something creative than push-ups any day. Yes. So let's fast forward to where I feel like you really got on this like large map (laughs) with your book, Steal Like an Artist, which came out Mm -hmm. in 2012. And it all started from a talk you gave, right? You said that you wrote a talk based on a list of 10 things you wished you had heard when you were starting out. Number one was Steal Like an Artist. Number two, don't wait until you know who you are to get started. Number three, write the book you want to read. Number four, use your hands. Number five, side projects and hobbies are important. Number six, the secret, do good work and share it with people. Number seven, geography is no longer our master. Number eight, be nice. The world is a small town. Number nine, be boring. It's the only way to get work done. And number 10, creativity is subtraction. Okay, we don't have time to dive into all of these, (laughs) but which of these are your favorite pieces of advice or which of these have really garnered the biggest reaction from people? And can you explain what they mean? Well, those are two different questions. The one that's my favorite and the one that has resonated the most with other people. I mean, I think the first thing that you learn as a creative person or an artist is that the things that you love are not necessarily the things that everyone else will love. And if you're lucky, there's a Venn diagram between what you love and what loves you back. I like thinking of creativity as a muscle. You have to use it and practice it in order for it to grow. I get it. But sometimes putting yourself out there and creating new things is really scary because people are always judging and we're especially always judging ourselves. That little voice in our head will not go away. Everyone struggles with this inner critic. That negative mental chatter can get louder when we're trying something new or trying to be creative. We hear the chatter telling us that we suck and we should just give up. I get it. I've been there. I'm constantly there. However, I talked with the chatter expert himself, psychologist and best-selling author, Ethan Cross. In our conversation, Ethan talked about using self-coaching and guidance in order to quiet our minds. Let's see what other tools he has up his sleeve. People are, on the whole, intensely motivated to share their feelings with others when they experience chatter. There are a couple of exceptions. So we tend not to talk about traumas and experiences that we're embarrassed about or experiencing shame. Those we try to conceal. But all the other negative stuff that we find ourselves rummaging through, we want to get it out. We want to talk to other people. There's been a lot of research that looks at, does talking help? And it turns out, sometimes yes, sometimes no. One of the reasons it doesn't help is many people want to just vent about their emotions. They just want to find someone to just get it out and express their feelings. What venting is really good at doing is establishing connection between two people. So Britt, you and I are buddies now. I call you up. I know you're there for me. I can share my emotions with you. Can you believe what this other 
podcast host said to me was so insulting. Oh my God. I do think women do this way more than men, by the way. And there are, you're right. They're what girlfriends do. Totally. There's there's a large literature on that. It's called co-rumination where we just start, you know, ping-ponging back and forth like, oh my God, this, and they said, what? And you did that. You're right. And blah, blah, blah. And so you and I, our friendship is like rock solid. We're there for each other, but we leave that conversation and all that negative stuff that we started with is still there. It's still active. We're just as upset, sometimes even more upset when we're done talking. So what do the best conversations do? They do two things. You do need to share your emotions to a certain degree. It's important to establish that connection between two people. And of course, you need to learn about what I'm going through. But at a certain point in the conversation, the person you're talking to ideally helps you reframe the experience, right? You've got distance from my experience. So you're in an ideal position to give me some advice, to try to help me figure out how to manage the situation, how to work through it. I've been a parent for a few years now, and let me tell you, it can seriously come with a lot of self-doubt and anxiety, especially in a world full of social media and comparison. Worrying about whether you're not doing the right thing for your kids can be exhausting. Are we raising them to be self-sufficient? Are we giving them too much screen time? To help me answer these questions, and actually for a little bit of (laughs) self-therapy, I decided to seek help from psychologist and author, Dr. Wendy Mogul. In this clip, she tells us how we can empower our children to learn decision-making and independence through a few simple acts. On their own, do they tell you about what happened there? And I don't want you to ask them. If they spontaneously tell you, I want you to be curious. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it'll be like, I wanted to keep playing and he wanted to come home. And so they're like upset that one of them, sometimes they'll even walk our dog there and they'll be like, Pixel was like jumping around everywhere. I couldn't control him. (laughs) So they'll tell me little things like that. And these are really good problems. Negotiating dominance with your brother negotiating cooperation and safety, they are providing stewardship of the dog's life. Everybody loves Pixel in your family. Everybody (laughs) would be heartbroken if anything happened to Pixel. And you are entrusting a five and a six-year-old to take proper care of that dog. Are there any cars that ever come on the street? Yes, but few. It's a cul-de-sac street. Great. Okay. But they could come. And you are trusting them to do this. When they come back from the playground, is there any difference whatsoever in their level of hunger and food tolerance at dinner (laughs) that night? Oh, I haven't correlated that together because they go at different times of the day. But that would be a really fascinating experiment. Basically, your point is if they were running around like boys should be, they're probably hungry for whatever's in front of them at some point. If one of your goals for next year is to improve your relationship with money, then a great place to start is paying off your debt. For most of us, that starts with credit card debt and student loans. Not too long ago, I chatted with money expert and founder of the award-winning site, MyFab Finance, Tanya Rapley. Tanya gave us some great tips on how to be better with our money. And here is what she said specifically about paying off debt. Creating it, that's a big thing. Stop creating debt. If you're trying to get out of debt, you have to have a 
come to Jesus moment with yourself or whatever power you believe in, but you have to have a moment of self-awareness where you realize that I am actually not doing anything to improve my situation. I don't feel good about the debt that I have. And this starts with me and the decision to stop creating it. So if I have to create boundaries such as freezing my credit cards, leaving my credit cards home when I go shopping, not even putting myself in the situation where I know I will overspend. Even if you have to like take yourself out of the group chat because your friends are talking about planning a trip that you know you can't afford, like create boundaries and realize that getting out of debt starts with you. It's no one's financial responsibility to improve your finances. It's yours. So those are the two things. It's like really have that moment of self-awareness, stop creating it, and then move things around so you can put as much as you can afford towards it or get it, find extra ways to make money to put money towards it. We all know that credit card debt can be really scary, but it shouldn't deter you from using credit cards. Actually, founder of the popular credit card and travel site, The Points Guy, Brian Kelly, says we can have a better credit score if we have more credit cards. I was confused on this too. As long as you pay them off in full each month, you can continue to have a great credit score. Listen in to hear more about how you can improve your credit score and earn points while doing it. Let's start with the 25 credit cards because I'm still fascinated by that. Are there favorites? If we could choose like three to five, let's say, and that was a lot for us, which three to five should we choose or does it differ for everybody? So there are myths out there that every credit card you get, your score goes down. There's a little bit of truth to that in that anytime you get a hard inquiry for a new credit line, your score will likely drop two to five points temporarily. You can go on the FICO website. I encourage people to learn about how FICO scores work and credit. Basically, the key factors of your credit are your debt to credit utilization. And that means the more credit you have available to you and the less you use, that your score goes up. Uh, the second is just making payments on time. And those two alone are over half your FICO score. So when you actually have more credit available to you and you're using less of it and you're paying it off in full every month, you'll see your score go up. That's why so many people who don't have credit cards and have very minimal credit, their score is actually worse. So in general, the more credit cards you have, the less you're using and you're paying them on time, your score will go up. I've never once. Yes. Sorry to interrupt. But what about paying the minimum off versus paying in full? Pay in full. The minimum, you'll get hit with like 18% interest on your balance. And the value of the points you're getting, generally one, two, three cents you're getting like 3% back blended if you're lucky. So if you're paying 18 cents to get a point worth 3 cents, that's a losing battle. So, mm. but that being said, if you're in a tough month, absolutely just pay your minimum balance and you know work to get the larger balance down. Missing a payment is a huge no-no and will drag your score down tremendously. And if it does happen, catch it right away and call your credit card company. They'll often waive the first one take it off your score. But you need to be vigilant about your score and be checking it into making sure you're not getting dinged. You're really bad about this stuff. Just set up auto pay. Auto pay is the best. You've got to track it. Taking control of our finances can give us a much needed confidence boost, but so can all of the new things we've learned in 2021. But how do we make time to do all of it? Some days it's like I'm so bogged down with the day-to-day that I feel like it's impossible to have any free time dedicated to creativity. Best-selling author and award-winning journalist, Elaine Welteroth, told me why blocking out time, literally blocking it out on your calendar, time for joy can be so beneficial for our creativity and well-being. 
Here's how we can fit everything into our schedule and still make the most of our newfound knowledge. Well, this is what I'm always a proponent of. And I learned this from one of my dear friends, a fellow author. Her name is Priya Parker. And she has an amazing book called The Art of Gathering. She's a friend of mine too. Sorry. Okay, keep going. Don't you love Priya? She's the best. Yes. But she inspired me to do this thing called, let's just say scheduling joy. Because when you work around the clock, especially now during the pandemic, we're all working on Zoom and that sort of work-life balance, if it ever existed, it has become non-existent now because there's just no separation between work and home. And so she has this brilliant idea about like just scheduling joy, just like any other meeting on your calendar. So like, even if it's just one hour, one time a week, hopefully you can build up to more than that, but where you block out time for joy. Put it on the calendar. Show up the way you would show up to any other meeting. Don't skip it. Don't put it off. And be present for whatever feels like joy in that moment. It gives you an opportunity to do that sort of check-in with your body to ask yourself, what do you need right now? What feels good right now? What feels like joy to me right now? And it's really important that you understand that it's not like scheduling yoga or like scheduling even a massage. It's like not about scheduling anything in advance. It's about tapping in in that moment to whatever feels like joy in that moment. And so sometimes it might just be freaking crying, Mm -hmm. like releasing what you've been carrying. Sometimes it might be calling your mom. It might be going for a walk. I chased a waterfall one time. I was like, I want to find a waterfall. So Mm -hmm. I did. And like this other time I ate a whole freaking box of pizza. Like That would be my joy for sure. (laughs) Right? But it just allows you to nourish this relationship with yourself. All right. So I think we can all say 2021 could have been your best year yet. (laughs) And maybe you're sad to see it go. Or it could have been the biggest challenge year you've ever faced and you're ready for a fresh start. No matter what, the feeling of ringing in a new year will bring us all a sense of hope and renewal. As I close out this show for the year, I'm here to remind you that our show will be on a short break this winter, but I will be back with you this spring with new topics, new lessons, and new guests. I hope you'll join me when I return. My sincere thanks to all of you who have followed this podcast so far. You really have made this whole thing so worth it. I love hearing from you on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you send your notes to me. And I love you guys so much. Until next year, bye now. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson. 